Absolutely, and it's a pleasure because we did do a Legends of the 70s podcast and we did touch upon Birmingham City versus Aston Villa. And guys, welcome all to a game of my life with Keith Birchin, one of my heroes growing up as a Birmingham City supporter. I know most people think I support the Villa, but I don't. I'm a dyed-in-the-wall Birmingham City fan. And Keith, we're going to be talking about that night in or that day in uh, October, October the 1st, 1977, when you put Aston Villa to, to the sword with a wonderful header. Elvis Presley was number one with Way Down. He died on the 16th of August that year. You latterly played with Elvis in another in, a, in an incarnation of Elvis with Frank Worthington. But your partner up front in those days was TF Trevor Francis, to those that aren't familiar with Birmingham City. So let's nail down that game. Your thoughts going into it, it was your first Birmingham City, Aston Villa derby. You got bought up as an Arsenal supporter, you used to go to Tottenham Hotspur as well. You played from Ipswich, you got transferred to Birmingham. So you'd been around the game, you'd seen derbies. What was the Birmingham City, Aston Villa derby like for you? Well, I opened in to start with because obviously, as you say, I'd been brought up, you know, Arsenal and Tottenham was, was the main one that I was aware of and, and how and how sort of uh, big the game was. And the fans were, you know, fairly brutal to one another. And obviously I'd heard of uh, sort of Liverpool and Liverpool, Everton, Manchester United, Man City. I hadn't really heard about um, a Midlands derby, if I was honest. So when the boys were getting a a touch uh, nervous about the game, you know, I I said at Villa Park, I said, well, I'm just going to go down and... uh, you know, see what see what sort of the pitch is like, you know, what sort of boots to wear, um, you know, with not paying too much attention to the derby. And um, it was only when I got down on the pitch and there was about 300 fans fighting each other and, and police on horseback that I come running back up the stairs because the dressing rooms were higher up in those days. I closed the door behind me and said, Christ, lads, you know, this is fairly serious. Well, they all started laughing um, because, of course, they knew, but I didn't. And um, more full was I because uh, it was as it was as frantic and, and big and aggressive derby as they could ever wish to be. It was uh, welcome to Birmingham, Keith, wasn't it? Well, it was quite funny as well because um, by this time um, I'd... I found my way into um, Andy Gray, Andy Gray's house, um, before this game. And as it happened, he was injured for that game. I think he was on the bench, but he was, he'd was he been suffering an injury. And they'd all talked because I'd got friendly with a few of them because most of the Birmingham lads were married. I was, you know, 20, 21. And um, I bumped into Andy and one or two of the other boys, Gidman and one or two of the others. And... You know, it was only Derby Day that it was fairly competitive and you had to rip into each other. But um, they'd assured me that uh, whatever happened, no problem. Uh, We might meet for a drink and all this carry on. Well, you know, the the day turned up and um, it was it's they're always fierce. There's not a lot of football played. Um, 
and of course in Derbys it's all about who wins and um, you know they were obviously very confident they're a good side um, but we turned up and um, on the day uh, you know to, to a man everybody stood up um, and we come off um, winning 1-0 you know which was uh, an absolutely fantastic result and I mean I don't know how many were in the ground you'll probably know better than me but there seemed like about 300,000 and uh, it was as I say from minute one to however the game went on um, it was fairly frantic to say the least it certainly was. There was 45,436. <laughs> I think the 436 were fighting on the pitch before the game. I think Sir they Ralph, were all out. <laughs> Sir Ralph was the manager of Birmingham and Ron Saunders was the manager of Aston Villa. Going into to the game, we'd started the season with Willie Bell. Willie was the manager. We had three managers sure. that season because Alf Ramsey took over. And then towards the end of the season... Jim Smith, the Bald Eagle, my favourite Birmingham City manager, replaced sure. Elf. And I think there was a little bit of an argument with the board because he was a director of Birmingham City at the time, Elf was, mm. uh, over the, uh, the the sale of Trevor Francis because that was one of Jim's, uh, that was his remit really, to be fair. he got to sell Trevor Francis, which when you're looking at Birmingham City and as a fan as I am, the greatest player ever to wear a Birmingham City shirt, to sell Trevor was a big ask. But Jim did do it very well. He, he did replace Trevor very well. That's a, a debate for another day. But can sure. you remember the line-up that day going into the game? And you you know, you touched upon, you, you knew the Villa, I suppose, going out for a drink, you knew the Villa players as much as you knew the Birmingham City players. Yeah, well, I mean, um, obviously, I'd, uh, I'd bump into Andy and we'd mm-hmm. become... Quietly, we'd become, you know, quite good friends. And, of course, then, you know, if you meet Andy, you're going to meet Gidman yeah. and uh, Gordon Smith and Cropley and Cowens. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd sort of seen a number of them on occasions. And, of course, we hadn't we hadn't come across each other in a derby up until that day. And, um, and that's when all of a sudden, you know, all bets are off until after the game. And... Uh, it's exactly how it worked out, but uh, they were a good side. And in fairness, you know, Birmingham, you know, were a good side as well. It was I like to call it the first team I played for because I probably played for a couple of certainly a couple of teams that I remember where the teams had definitely changed. But the likes of Jimmy Corderwood and Gary Pendry and Tony Want and Joe Gallagher, um, you know, Gary Pendry who, you know, I still see now, um, they were terrific pros and terrific players and knew exactly what was required. Um, yeah, and obviously with Trevor um, and Mal Page and Tony Towers, um, Dylan was in and around it at the time. He was a youngster. But, you know, we had a, Alan Ainsco, I think, came later. Yes. But, you know, we had a, we had a, a decent side and an honest bunch um, to give most teams a decent game. Absolutely. Let's go through the lineups that day going into the game. Mm. Jim Montgomery was a goalkeeper that yeah. day. Um, yeah. What a great save he made from Lorimer and Cherry in the 73 FA Cup final. <laughs> Absolutely. Forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tony Want, Pat Howard, uh, Gary Pendry, Kevin Broadhurst, um, Calderwood uh, uh, played, Jimmy Calderwood, uh, Gary Emanuel. Terry Hibbert, That's right. Tony Towers, Trevor Francis and Keith Birchin 
that was the Birmingham City eleven. That is yeah. a very competitive and a very good and a very experienced Birmingham City eleven going into that local derby as well. Sure, sure. And Towsy and Terry, you know, they could both still run about. Yeah. Were great on the great on the ball, you know, and would protect the ball and 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 always deliver, you know, decent passes, forward passes. Um, you know, um, and Gary Emanuel would go up and down, you know, and and hardly ever stop. So yeah, we we just we just every game we played, we thought we had a bit of a chance, yeah. and that probably stood out with some of the results we got that season. To be quite honest, we're going to talk about the season um, a little bit later in the podcast, mm. Keith. Mm. But we're going to stay on on the theme of the first of October, nineteen seventy seven. Saunders sure. was Villa manager. Alf Ramsey was Birmingham City's manager. And the Villa lineup was Jimmy Rimmer in goal, Gidman Smith, Gregory, Phillips, Cowens, Cropley, Mortimer, Caradus, Dean, Little. Brian come off after 15 minutes to re- be replaced by Andy Graham. The season before, Villa had done very well because they'd got to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. They'd won the League Cup. And Birmingham City did do the double. I did remind Andy of that. And I think they yeah. lost the league by about six points. It was two points for a win. Had they have got them four points from Birmingham, they could have been in amongst the shake-up at the end of the season to win the league. So you could argue that Villa wasn't far away from a treble winning side. That's how good Villa were. They were. But Birmingham, Birmingham were very much their equal in the 70s to the early 80s, and particularly under Jim Smith. Yeah, well, I mean... Jim came in, and I think um, obviously it, the, the the ship needed steadying a little bit, and and he had a certain way about him, and you know he was no nonsense, that was for sure, and he'd call a spade a spade, mm. um, and it was his way or or no way, and so he set he set his he set his sort of uh, his his way he wanted to play out fairly quickly, and those that wanted to join in and sort of say come on then let's have a go. He, he he liked that, and them that you know poo pooed it a little bit. They were, you know, um, they were kind of on the on the on the sort of wings of it all. But mm-hmm. you know, we liked Jim, and he was very very down to earth, and he liked his training. He he liked you to train hard, and you knew what sort of guy he was, um, and knowledgeable about the game, um, had a lot of passion, um, and he just wanted everybody, you know, to to absolutely give everything they had, you know. And uh, as I say, he steadied the ship the first season. And I think the second season when, well, certainly myself and Trevor had some fairly horrendous injury, um, um, you know, it all went a little bit sideways. But that's getting off the off the derby bit a little bit. So, um, but, you know, talking about Jim, he was... Uh, he was great for all of us, and um, if you'd done well for him, like many managers, he'd give you everything. And and if you didn't do well for him, he wouldn't speak to you. But that was him, you know. He couldn't he couldn't help himself. Did you ever call him the Bald Eagle, or was it Jim or Boss? No, it was always it was always Boss mm. for me. And there was only one person that ever called him Jim, and that was Frank. Yes. And uh, he didn't mind Frank. Or if I'd have called him Jim, he'd have clipped me, you know. So. <laughs> I thought I'd, I'd leave Frank. Frank had probably earned the right a little bit. We were just still youngsters in them days. And uh, i never forget um, Toddy, Archie and, uh, and Frank 
had been given a bit of extra time off and you know one or two of us said to, to the manager hey how come they you know how come they've got a few more days off than us and he just looked at us all and he said when you've played as well and as many games as them you can have an extra day off and we all went fair enough <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how he was he just told you how it was but uh no i mean um he was he was a good manager he was a good man manager and um he would just work on the fact that if you could overcome the person that was marking you would have a better chance of winning than losing and uh and that's how he set his stall out really you know obviously he was um astute about the game and studied the game watched lots of different games as well um but uh you know he steadied the ship after as you say two or three managers um had come and, and not really gone as well as they'd hoped and um you know I think we were very, very close in Jim in Jim Smith's reign of being a very, very good team. I'm going to be doing a podcast with uh, your friend, Alan Kerbisho, that you've sorted out for me, Connie. Thank you, Keith. Okay. And, and And I think that there's always in players' careers, and I do a regular podcast with, with Al, as you know, and we talk about the if-only moments. And mm. I've always been of the opinion that if only Birmingham City had kept on with Jim Smith, because I think that Jim, his philosophy of football was fabulous. The way that he seemed to communicate with the players and the club, he brought everything. Jim brought Birmingham City together as a club in arguably the most turbulent times that any manager has gone into with that you've got to sell Trevor Francis scenario. So yeah. for me, I'll always be indebted to uh, to Jim Smith and Jim and you boys gave me the greatest years of being a Birmingham City supporter. Well, listen, I think it's probably a little bit like uh, for a manager, you know, players can go up and down a little bit. Mm. And I think managers can sometimes do the same. And, you know, you can... Someone once said to me about, you know, buying a play, you never quite know what you've got until he's in the door. Yeah. And um and that's to sort of say, well, yeah, you know, we've got we've got to get him because he's what we want. And nine times out of ten they, they can produce what they produced at another club which is why you, you were interested in the first place. Yeah. But, you know, on that sort of you know, um on on that kind of circumstance, um, he bought some fantastic players, you know, and he took a chance with some experience with the youngsters he already had. And uh, I think we were very, very close um, to being a good side. I think he probably lost faith with, you know, one or two of us, maybe just a tad early Mm. um, and felt that, you know, he wanted to change it around. And then unfortunately, you know, it went from bad to worse. And then, unfortunately he, he moved on and it all changed again you know and a different manager with different views and you almost start again don't you but for the for the season we had or the couple of seasons we had you know when Frank was flying still and Archie and Toddy were you know running it um, we were very close and Ainsco was playing out of his skin um, we were very close to uh, having a nice balance of experience and youth and they were some of my, they were definitely some of my favourite, favourite games and favourite seasons. And uh, you know, obviously the Villa game was one. And uh, fortunately, when you get the only goal of the game, you only realise what you've done afterwards. And uh, uh, and I realised that uh, 
you know, either Villa boys wouldn't be speaking to me and, um, you know, most of the Blues people would be. Well, we went home very happy from the Witten Lane end and it was in the Witten Lane end that you planted your header into the back of the Aston Villa net. And it was a, it was a great... Trevor had got the ball and then he just flicked it out to Jimmy Calderwood. Jimmy put in a perfect cross and you put in a perfect header past Jimmy Rimmer. What did you feel like when that ball... It was it such a great cross and central strikers thrive on great crosses. It looked as though you didn't have to do that much to to the cross because it was that good but you actually did because you could see your head coming back your neck muscles and it was an absolutely fabulous header Keith well in fairness I mean listen you get your facts your your facts are probably much more uh, accurate than mine but I was always of the opinion it was Trevor that crossed it okay maybe Jimmy to Trevor then yeah yeah it might have been yeah. Trevor because I realized you know um how much he was thought of because a bit like what you've said you know it's all about the cross yeah. and and you know I was just like on the end of it um and I don't know how I was I was the I was the other side of the penalty spot and you know I just kind of I don't know why but you you place it in you, you try and place it back the way it came into the far corner yeah. unfortunately it was one of those good ones you know and uh, as I say you know um, you don't really realise what you've done till the end of the game um, and realise the size of the goal, you know, when everyone wants to talk about it, you know. So it was a really, for me at the time, it was I was just glad to score. And then it was kind of not until after the game when you realise that, wow, this might just be a bit of a special goal, you know. So that's how I hold it in my memory. Um, and... Uh, and I was really pleased to to be involved in that in that win. And do Derby goals feel any more special? I know that being an Arsenal supporter and the cracking goal that you scored uh, against Arsenal that that season was one of the goals mm. of the season and goals of your career. So that will always be a special moment because it was against Arsenal, the team that you you started and yeah. supported. But them local derbies. You know, they are special games, aren't they? I know that some players say, do you know what, it's just another game, but it but it isn't just another game. No, no, I, I kind of, I, I realise myself, but also, um, you know, when people were talking about the game and they were so pleased, I mean, they're just, they're pleased when you score in any game, yeah. but in that game, they're really pleased, you know, and years later, you know, even when, even when I was part of the coaching team, you know, and the likes of Lazaridis and Orsfield, you know, when they get goals um, against the Villa, you know, it still has that um, that sort of fantastic uh, reputation, and and the, and the supporters love it, and I think they did then, and uh, and and they did, and they did certainly when when I was there, and uh, and obviously. Trevor got the only goal of the game at St Andrews, so you know it was a rare it was a rare season when you know we'd done the double over, and um, and more often than not, well, well, the biggest thing for me was it was the fact that they were such a good team. Yeah, you know, I know I know that it was a derby, but you know they were such a good team as well that uh, I think that was as much for me. You know, bloody good team they are, and we've done them twice now, and it happened to be a derby, so. You know, it was um, it was a, a winner all round, really. 
Absolutely. And uh, and Trevor, of course, the darling of Birmingham City's terraces. Exactly. Uh, Willie Bell started off the season as the manager. What was the dynamics and what was the difference between Willie then to Alf Ramsey and, and Jim Smith? And you, you and Trevor played in total 48 games in all competitions that season. You played in every league game. You were the only two that, that played in that. You scored 11 out of 48. I think Trevor scored about 20, 24. I mean, Trevor was an exceptional talent. And I would suggest that if I was talking to Trevor now or talk to Trevor at any time in the future and reminisced and took a trip down, uh, down not Wembley Way, but um, down memory, uh, memory Lane... Trevor would probably say that was one of the greatest football seasons that he'd ever had. And, and I think that, you know, he really did come to the prime of his career, I believe, in, in that season. And I think that the the proof of the pudding is in the eating and the season after he was transferred. But I think Trevor was one of the most gifted players in not just England, but the whole of Europe at that, that particular time. Yeah, I think um, I think when I was when I was leaving Ipswich, uh, Mick Mills, who was the Ipswich captain, and Paul Mariner, who had come because he had a little bit more experience than I did. Mm. Um, they both knew Trevor, and um, they just sort of said, "Look, you're going to play with a really, really good player, um, and you'll do well. You're, you'll be a nice match." And he said, "Stick your chest out," like I did when I come from Plymouth to, to Ipswich. He said, "Stick your chest out. You know, believe in yourself, and uh, and you know, you'll be fine." And then play with Trevor as well. There were there was occasions where I can't say this that often about other players where I've actually seen him do something, and I'm thinking, has he just done that? Yeah. And um, you know, and that's why we're that's why we're actually playing. You know, that uh, he could move the ball so quickly, and and he was so sort of. Uh, you know, slight of foot. And he's, he just moved the ball so quick and one moment the defender thought he was going to get it and then Trevor was past two or three of them. Um, he could just play so quickly. And uh, I, I don't think I'd ever seen anything quite like that. I'd seen some very, very good players. Um, but um, that particular season as well, you know, he'd done things that, uh, you know... Um, I hadn't seen before and I thought, wow, you know, he's a terrific player and and also unselfish as well. He was a wonderful crosser of the ball as well. So, as I say, he crossed that many um, uh, that I could get on the end of and, and he was actually, you know, a striker that should be on the end of the crosses himself. But, you know, he was a fantastic crosser of the ball um, and he'd go past people as if they weren't there. So that was a fairly handy skill to have and, he done it frequently. Absolutely. 11th in the league, we finished that season. From the Got 42 you. league games, we won 16, drew 9, lost 11, scored 55 goals. Most of them was you and, and Trevor, conceded 60. And we amassed 41 points, which was a, a very handsome uh, return. And again, especially given the fact that we'd had three managers, because usually when you have three managers in a season in the 70s, you get relegated. Three managers yeah. in a season these days, you're in the Premier League. Yeah, and uh, you know, another thing about Jim, you know, he was also quite brilliant um, at managing above. And I'm pretty sure it was the Coombs that was in charge yeah, at the time. And, uh, you know, he was really, really good with them. And... Um, he just had to have the players um, doing 
enough for him so that he could go to, you know, um, try and get one or two new players, which he did. And, you know, we just had to give him enough ammunition that, uh, you know, he could have some chance of trying to keep improving the team. And, um, and as I said earlier on, he was very close to having a really, really good team. And uh, he got a great combination of youth and experience. And for a couple of seasons there, you know, it was quite enjoyable to play with. And of course, I was fortunate. I, I missed, you know, 12 months in my second season when unfortunately they got relegated and Trevor got injured as well. Um, and by the time, you know, I'd got back, I'd played football. I think um, I'd played in South Africa to get fit and came back. And we'd fr- we'd signed um, Archie, Toddy, Alan Kervishley, one or two others. And then right at it, you know, I think the, the, the season had just started. And, um, and of course, when we got Frank. Um, so, you know, and everyone was excited about, you know, all the new signings. And, uh, and Archie was a little warrior. And Toddy was like a Rolls Royce. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he was into the sort of, into his 30s, but he was built. He was built like a bloody weightlifter, you know, and, and he moved across the ground so smoothly. He was some player him. And then, of course, Frank turned up and uh, gave another a side of, you know, what he had. He was fantastic fun. He was a fantastic footballer. And um, I don't think I knew anybody that enjoyed playing football like he did. So um, it was just a, it was just a great place to be at that time. Um, and all of us younger ones, you know, benefited, I think, uh, enormously. Absolutely. And before Frank arrived with that team that, that played against Sevilla in the 77-78 season, mm. who was the biggest character? And I say that because Frank would be the biggest character anyhow that probably that you've ever played with. But who was the characters in, in the dressing room in those days? Who was the dressers? Who was the standout? Who was the go-to persons in that well, Birmingham City dressing room? Personally, personally, I like Gary Pendry, you know, because he'd speak his mind. Um, it didn't surprise me at all that, you know, he went into coaching and he was a terrific coach with Strachan for a number of years. He understood the game really, really well. And he was vocal and, you know, um, he was he was on it, you know, and uh, he's a really good, you know, he was from Birmingham and he was a Birmingham through and through. And it really, every game meant something to him. And he played a number of them, most of them before I arrived. Yeah. But the season that we're talking about, you know, he was, um, you know, he, he did wear his heart on his sleeve and, and he and he lumped a few as well. Uh, he, was, he was tough, no-nonsense fullback, but with a with a really terrific, terrific um, left foot. Um, and, of course, then you had a little bit, you know, Terry Hibbett was a good player. Tony Towers had fitted in straight away and could play. Um, and then Dylan was working his way down the left into the team. Um, so, you know, it was it was a really, it was a good side. And Malcolm Page, you know, would play everywhere. Um, mm. These are the players I really remember and uh, in the first year. Um, and obviously, you know, my relationship with, with Trevor on and off the pitch, um, I think went a long way to, you know, getting the success we had. Absolutely. And and Gary, famously, you turned down the Scotland job with, that went strack and went to Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
he was his own man, Gary. And, mm. um, you know, I'm led to believe, because I didn't see him coach, but it, it doesn't take much imagination for me that he was a really good coach. And, and we still watch football with a friend of ours um, at Birmingham in his box. And uh, he still speaks a really, really good game. And you can understand you can understand why he made a sm smashing coach. Um, but yeah, he, um, he got you going. He'd give you encouragement when you needed it. He'd give you a telling off when you needed it. He was a, a more senior player and um, he'd been around the game a lot longer than us younger ones. Absolutely. He, he says to um, Gordon Strachan that, you know, he'd, he'd quite like to have gone with, uh, with Gordon because he'd, he'd followed. You, you do tend to find that, don't you? Coaches go with the managers and you're a team. Of but course. He, but, but he said the, the Scottish coach, he needs to be Scottish. And that's why he turned it down. And I think that's, yeah. that's probably yeah. because of Gary was just so patriotic and so, you know, in terms of Birmingham City, he was a brummy and he, he wanted everything for Birmingham and he just thought that, you know, it would be best for the national team, not for him, but for the national team, to have a Scottish coach rather than an English one. And that's what it that's all it'll have, that's what it'll have meant as well, yeah. you know, because um you know, he was a and is a thoroughly decent chap. And as I say, he was one of the um he was one of the ones I remember that was strong, passionate and wore his heart on his sleeve and, and gave every single thing he had every game, which why he was there for so long and was so popular. Absolutely. Forrest um, won the league that year, 77-78, their first venture into the first division for a few seasons. 37,625 saw us take on Nottingham Forest, and it's not Notts Forest, it's Nottingham Forest. Yeah. Um, memories about playing against Nottingham Forest and Brian Clough's team, I know that we, we did them um, a few years after when Frank scored them two great goals and one with his right yeah. foot. Yeah, I think that probably was in the last season I was there. Yeah, it was. And um, I think as near as damn it, they had that European Cup team and it was a midweek game. And, um, you know, it, it was they were a real good side. You know, let's make no mistake about it. Mm. Cool, that was a good side. But, but you know, on a midweek game at St Andrews, you know, if we all of a sudden started well and all of a sudden you find yourself up for it, we were... We were a match for, for most, yeah. and um, it just so happened on that night, uh, Frank Frank had one of them nights, and I'll never forget that, uh, I'm not sure if it was his first goal or his second one, but he's cutting on his right foot, and I thought, well, he'll try and cut back again onto his left foot, and then he just wrapped, he wrapped his right foot around the ball, and it's gone past Shilton before Shilton's moved, and everyone was shocked, you know, because he didn't, he didn't use his right foot that often. Yeah. And uh, we walked and I ran up to him and I said, Oi, what's all that about? And he went, oh, special occasions, son, special occasions. <laughs> and I just laughed because he just had a wry smile on his face <laughs> and he was just saying to me, you know, when I really need it, I can use it. And uh, oh, I absolutely loved him, you know, and he could do anything. Um, and his left foot was such a wand it was just occasionally eye-opening when he'd actually do something fairly brilliant with his other foot, you know. But yeah. as he said, it was for special occasions and, and that was one. 
Absolutely. It wasn't a special occasion that season, though, when we played Forest in front of 37,000 supporters because we did go down uh, 2-0, which was the same score, but it, it was the reverse. We started off really badly in uh, in August, and that led to Willie Bell getting sacked. Manchester yeah. United at home, we got beat 4-1. Terry scored the goal. Chelsea away, Leeds away, Liverpool at home. Uh, we got beat in all of those games. And then yeah. enter uh, Alf Ramsey or Sir Alf Ramsey, I think, sure. as he was. What was Willie Bell like as a manager? How did you find Because you weren't there that long. You arrived in the July, didn't you? The season. Yeah, well, like, I, I think, think. Yeah, I think you're no better than me. But I think it, you know those games. You know, I remember the Man United game. I think Lou Macari got hat trick. Yeah, and uh, you know, and one or two of them might have been Edders, and he was like five foot four. Yeah. So we were, we did get off to a, a poor start. And the difficulty for me was that Willie Bell had um, had signed me, yeah. you know. And uh, I remember actually he was staying over at Enlian Arden and um, I went and saw him. And, and when he'd been told that he was no longer required, um, I felt particularly bad because he'd taken a chance with me and uh, we hadn't got off to a very good start. Although, you know, we'd, we'd had a, a fairly tough start. Um, but I think possibly... Because he was like um, the assistant manager to Freddie Goodwin, um, you know, maybe that was thinking they needed a bit more experience. I have no idea, but Mm. I thought it was a bit harsh. But, you know, um, he said to me, son, don't worry about it. He said, you know, crack on, do as well as you can. I still think you'll do well. And... um, and and that was as they say, you know, that is football, isn't it? You know, in the life of a manager, uh, the, and the, it's the same today. You know, you're looking over your shoulder if you lose two or three games on the spin, um, which which is very very difficult. But uh, unfortunately, you know, um, I didn't I didn't get to meet him much or see him much because, you know, by the time, you know, we were just sort of getting used to the football. He'd gone, yeah. and I think Ken, Ken Oliver took over for a little while, and then, as you say, I think um, Sir Alf took over, and uh, I think he was unbeaten for 10 games when he was caretaker manager, and then we couldn't win for 10 games when he was manager, so I think that was the end of him as well, you know, and uh, so, you know, we were going through managers, and, and ultimately, I, I felt bad, because really, it's the players, you know, and... Uh, Somehow we, we got turned around and, uh, and maybe Jim coming in and freshening things up a little bit and um, maybe we needed some, the ingredient that he brought. But all of a sudden we started getting results and, and being the team that, you know, we ideally would have liked to have been from the beginning of the season. Absolutely. Your first goal that season, your first goal for Birmingham City in the league was the 17th of September, 77, against Newcastle. John Connolly, the winger to watch, scored. And you scored a brace, Keith, 3-0 win at home against Newcastle United. And also, I mean, it just shows you how your luck's in. I mean, we were still staying at uh, St John's Hotel there. I think it was me, Monty, um, Pat Howard, um, Tony Towers and um, that morning um, Tony Towers had come to see you know just come in we're going to have a cup of coffee and I've opened the door and he said Christ he said what's the matter with you and I'd, I'd, I'd had a bit of a fever and um, so I weren't feeling that great so he then ordered up 
what I didn't know, a hot toddy, I didn't even know what that was. I thought it was, I knew it weren't Colin Todd, but um, <laughs> this hot toddy came in and he said, get that down, yeah. And obviously, you know, I've necked it and it was, obviously it was, it was fairly warm, <laughs> um, but I didn't realise it had brandy in it. You know, I said, Christ, what was that? He says, don't worry. He says, by the time you've had a couple, you'll feel a bit better. And uh, so I had a couple of, I had a couple of these brandies and then we've gone down the ground and they've said to the manager, um, look, you don't look great. And I was sweating up and everything. And the manager just looked at me and he says, well, look, do you want to play? And I said, yeah, of course I want to play. So I says, right, well, I see how you go. He said, if, if you can't handle it, you know, you can come off. He said, but why don't you start? And, um, you know, I think it was probably, I was feeling fairly grim. Uh, and I think, I, don't, I can't remember exactly when, but sort of halfway through the, the first half, um, I've got up and edited one in and, um, and maybe scored again. Um, and we won 3-0 and, and everything started to change from there. Um, but I remember for the next two or three days, you know, I, was, I, I had to stay in bed. Mm. So even though I weren't feeling great, it was worth, you know, taking a chance because obviously it got me off the mark and um, and then, you know, you sort of get an, an instilled sort of confidence uh, and everything was, was rosy in the garden again, you know. It is quite incredible, isn't it? The fortunes of a player going into games and then you score your brace, you're up and running. The next goal mm. you score is the game of uh, that, that we're talking about, Aston Villa, when uh, we won 1-0. You then went to Arsenal and scored in that away game, that fabulous goal. And then you scored uh, your next goal was against Everton uh, away, Goodison Park. Always a very, very difficult game and a, a venue to, to play at. Birmingham have traditionally never done very well at uh, Goodison Park, but you scored that day in a, in a, a 2-1 uh, defeat against Everton. I remember that game. I mean, I remember that game because I'd never really seen... I mean, obviously, I knew who he was, Bob Latchford. Yes. And I'd never seen him play as much as, obviously, all the lads I was playing with and all the supporters that had watched him play for... And, and a few years, and um, we were in front, as I remember. And uh, I'm thinking, well, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Latchford yet. You know, he moved, he moved really nicely across the ground. That had a massive impact in the game. And um, I think it must have been about ten minutes to go. All of a sudden, he's popped up and knocked one in, popped up again and knocked another one. We lost two one. And he's he's probably had two touches. You know. In, in three minutes, two goals. Yeah. And uh, and that's what it was all about. And I think that year, if I'm not mistaken, he might have got 30 goals for yes, he did. Everton. Yeah. And uh, he was one of these prolific scorers that, um, you know, was also a really, really good player. And, and, and that era before me, you know, when there was Trevor, uh, Bob Hatton and Latchford, you know, they were a formidable, you know, threesome and uh you know terrific players individually and as a group but um latchford was you know johnny on the spot and wherever that ball dropped in that 18 yard box or six yard box more often than not he was on it you know and he had two good feet and he could edit and uh it was an ideal build for a prolific goal scorer which he was 
Absolutely. He had two brothers that were both goalkeepers. It's quite unbelievable, really, isn't it? Well, obviously, I played with Dave. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, great lad. Um, yeah, and was his other brother? Peter? 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 Yeah. Albion and yeah. Celtic? Ah, um, but Dave was a great lad as well and, and uh, a good goalkeeper too. So, yeah, I mean, Bob kind of, I think, went to Germany. Um, yes. You know, after his playing days here, but um, he was always uh, he was always a player that uh, you know would have twenty or thirty goals each season, and um, that's too lucky to be lucky. You know, you're a good player, aren't you? Yeah, and not enough games for England. He did um, he did play on the twenty three tour. Hudson sure. was the captain. They lost his his case was lost. They were in France, and he took him out to get some <laughs> get some clothes. And he went into a lady's dress shop, and Huddy looked at him and he said, "I'm rooming with you. You ain't a cross dresser, are you?" And he says, no, when I go on tour, I always buy a dress for my wife. And Huddy said, "Thank God for that." Oh my God! Yeah. But, but what a player and, and a great lad. Kings Heath born, Birmingham born, and on my first yeah. venture to St Andrews, the 15th of August, 1972, Bob had a second half hat-trick disallowed against Newcastle United, so yeah, he was always good for a goal or two, was Bob. So, you know, I was coming here and, um, you know, had to sort of, you know, stand up and be counted because, yeah. I, you know, the, the people here at Birmingham, you know, they were used to proper centre-forwards and, um, and that's what I was going to try and be and, uh, you know, the relationship I had with Trevor that first year and the amount of games we played and the goals we scored, um, you know, it, it could have gone better, but not much better, I don't think. I don't think it could have got much better. Um, when we played Chelsea at, at home, we lost 5-4 on New Year's Eve 1977. Have you got any memories about that? Did we go out on the lash the night before? Because it was Birmingham 4, Chelsea 5, Birchin, uh, Francis 2. And Ibi, I think you, um, yeah, so you, you, you two scored three out of the four goals that game. Well, it must be Chelsea then because... Um... Not only having the connection with Hudson, where I ended up meeting up with him at Stoke, um, but being a Chelsea legend. Um, but I remember, I remember more importantly, I remember when we played Chelsea in midweek and, and Frank was at the club. Yeah. And um, he came round the night before and uh, he'd come round and he had a friend with him, you know, in a skirt. <laughs> and uh, he said we were going out. And I said to him, really? He said, yeah, we're just going to my pal's restaurant. He's opening up in Solihull and he's invited us and we'll go in nice and early and we'll be home by half eight. And I thought, oh, I've heard that before. And this isn't going to be good if anyone sees us. We'd never been out before. You know, Alan Kerbishley was at my house at this time. And so Frank's turned out. So anyway, we've gone. And uh, as it turned out, um, it was just a really nice meal great restaurant and we were home for about half past eight never ever had been out before the night, the night of a game and um and that day that night i think it was the night when they had someone like peter barotta in goal yeah, um and i think we won three or four one and ainsco scored and um it was a really a really good win and i think it, that probably frank changed my outlook not that i wanted to go out you know, every night before a game. But if you wanted to go for a bite to eat or the pictures, just to try and relax, you know, rather than, you know, 
fret about the game and uh, listen to Tony Butler normally slaughtering you. Um, it weren't really an ideal setup for a game, you know. So the fact that we just went out and relaxed for a couple of hours and um, Frank was on good form and, you know, he, he, he weren't drinking. Um, and we were all back, you know, at home by about half eight and we just had a couple of hours where we'd like loosened off and, and relaxed um, and then got stuck into Chelsea the next day. Uh, and done really, really well. So, as I say, you know, I, you learn stuff off Frank all the time. And uh, as I say, it wasn't a case of being out till three in the morning because that just wouldn't have happened. Um, there were times where you could enjoy yourself, but it certainly wasn't before a game. And, you know, the difference between relaxing and just having a little bit of fun um, as opposed to being out all night and pretending it's okay was miles apart. But Frank had a great um, way of getting everyone relaxed. And, uh, you know, and that was one of, that was one of the ways. Um, and the fact that we give Chelsea a good seeing to um, just opened my eyes a little bit. that There was more than one way to prepare for a game. Absolutely. I did say to Alan Hudson, Al, the first time I saw you at Birmingham City was Chelsea when you beat us 4-2 in 73 and then Stoke City when you beat us 3-0 in 74. And he said, you know what, Paul? Uh, on 74 with Stoke, we uh, met up with uh, a wedding party and we had a really, really late night. <laughs> and then the, the 73, me and Osgood went down to, I think it was Trafalgar Square, to watch Mohamed Ali against Ken Norton. So on both occasions, they were rather inebriated and absolutely smashed Birmingham City in both well, games. I think that era were, were, a, were a great era. And I think that, um, you know, the players you mentioned there, Osgood, uh, Hudson, um, they had a kind of... Um, Tony Curry was another one that I didn't know him personally, but they had this confidence about them. Yeah. And we might have spoke about this before, That's but they true. had this inner confidence. Frank, Frank had it as well. And, you know, not only, not only did they want to entertain their own fans, but they actually wanted to entertain the away fans as well. And that was the pressure they wanted to put themselves under. And they were big enough players to do it. And that's what I really loved. You know, they were fearless of the game and they knew they were going to play well. And it was just our well. And, uh, you know, we we as young players were thinking, God, you know, we're we're never going to be like that. We're just hoping we get through the game. We've done okay." so I loved I loved those guys who were before us, their confidence they had in themselves. And you'd have to label Trevor with that as well. His was a quiet confidence, but he really just um, let his playing do the talking, really. And, uh, and, and certainly for the season that we were talking about, my goodness, um, he, must have, uh, he must have got a lot of people off their seats, you know, through that, through that particular season. He got me off my seat, although it was largely terracing in those days. But when Quite. it used to go dark Quite. and I'd play football down my fields, I'd roll up my socks and I'd always think that I was Trevor Francis because he was that's my great. second yeah. hero. My first hero, by the way, was Gordon Banks. But that's another story for another of day. Course. In of course. January, we uh, unbelievably, we beat Manchester United away and Liverpool away. That was the greatest January in the history of Birmingham City. Sadly, we got beat by Leeds through. 3-2 at home in the middle of the two but Man United away 
away and Liverpool away. Two fantastic results. And Keith Burchin scored at Liverpool along with Trevor Francis and Gary Emanuel. Well, you know, I mean, I remember, I remember that game. As we spoke many times, you can't remember what you've done this morning, but I remember that game as if it was yesterday. And uh, and of course, um, I think that was one. I'm pretty sure that was one of Sir Alf's games as well. Yes, you know, it um, and it's a, it's the only time I've ever heard, heard him swear because I think we were three 0 up. Yeah, we were. And we we actually must have then thought we were Liverpool, which was a mistake. And um, before we knew where we were, we were passing it around and you know, not playing it direct and running in behind them. Um, and they had a fantastic team and all of a sudden they'd scored a couple of goals and we were under the cosh. And honestly, you thought they'd have had about 25 players on the pitch. It was, it was the Alamo. And um, we ended up, I think, uh, getting away with it 3-2, three, three I think, was it? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 3-2, yeah. 3-2. And um, we've, come, we've come into the dressing room and we've all got in there and the last one's closed the door and Sir Alf's gone. By God, lads. I won't quite say what he said, but um, he said, you made, you made effing hard work of that. <laughs> he, said, I, he said, I nearly had a heart attack. And, uh, you know, it was a great, you know, because they were that super, super team um, at, that, at that period, um, it made it even more special. Um, and then it wasn't too much later in the season, only a week or two, that we went to Man United and beat them as well, you know. And so that little period was was terrific. And um, it's just a pity that we couldn't go on more runs where we went seven, eight, nine, ten games unbeaten. You know, uh, we, we were always a little bit up and down. But yeah. when we got it right, you know, we could overcome, you know, teams like Man United and Liverpool away as well, um, which was no mean feat. No, absolutely. It was on the 2nd of uh, January that we beat Manchester United and it was uh, 19 days later that we went to Anfield and and beat Liverpool 3-2. But as I say, to beat Liverpool and uh, Manchester United in the same month is is a feat because it's something we tend not to do in the same decade. No, and and again, you know, we've talked about most of the players... Of that season, mm. I mean, John Connolly was in and around it, and uh, Oliver Pudley and Gary Jones, yes, he was in around it as well. You know, we had a great mm. group of players, and they were all together, and they, you know, they were all fiercely competitive. Um, and and when we did get it right, uh, we were a decent team. As I say, probably the position would just say that we were just a little bit inconsistent, you know, and we had a, a fairly poor start. But um, I remember that season in the end thinking, you know what, you know, um, it wasn't a bad season. You know, we finished we finished fairly strong yeah. and, uh, and there were some really, really good teams about, you know, in those days. And, uh, you know, it turns out that it wasn't half a bad season as, as we thought it was going to be, you know. So um, we finished strong and, uh, as I say, um, there was there was a lot more positive stuff in the end than uh, negative. 
Absolutely. In April, we played one, two, three, four, five, six, eight games in April. We only lost one game, and that was to Manchester City at home. And Ricky Sabragia scored the only goal. But we did like to go to the East Midlands because we beat Leicester City 4-1 in April. And the, uh, the month before in March, we went to Derby County on the 17th. And uh, stuffed them 3-1. John Connolly, Trevor Francis and Keith Burchin. Francis and Burchin always crept up with a goal apiece. And and again, you know, you're playing a piece. I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but people like David Nish and yes. the old the old Dave Watson. Yeah. The old Dave Watson, not the one I played with at Norwich, but yeah. the one before him, you know, they were great. They were huge, strong, powerful men, you know, and... Uh, you know, every team, you know, had, had big, powerful players. And, uh, you know, if you didn't get stuck in with them, you know, you were left, you were left wanting a little bit, you know, and all these, all these teams, they were really, really good teams. So, you know, um, we probably left it a little bit late, but we got, we got it right in the end. And uh, as I say, you know, for Trevor and I to play all the games, you know, I think it was probably unheard of. The incredible stat I did find out because I was just, I was just thinking, you know, he played all these games, Trevor, and lo and behold, I looked at um, his stats for the season before, and he'd played every game that one as well. Yeah. So you know, I mean, he did have some nasty injury um, through his career, but at that particular time, he was having a purple patch, and and rarely missed a game, you know. So, uh, and and the sort of stick he would take. Um, he was durable, to say the least. Yeah, when you're Trevor Francis, you do take a whack or two. In, in those yeah. days, it was a free hit from the first three defenders, wasn't it? They'd line up to it, yeah, rather than the one at you three times because you get sent off. They took it in turns to just, hey, ref, that was my first one. And in them days, you'd get away with it. Well, they were, you know, I mean, I don't know what it is when, like... <laughs> either vertical or horizontal, either way, you know, people didn't half fly into you. And, um, you know, we, I think you need a bit of good fortune. Don't get me wrong. We did get caught, you know, virtually every game, but obviously it was only kind of, um, you know, it was, it was stuff like cuts and bruises rather than twists and tears. Yeah. So, uh, and as I say, um, we both had our fair share of injuries during the course of our career. But um, that particular season, it was just terrific to play so many games and develop, you know, a decent understanding and respect um, to, to play in so many games and, and eventually, you know, come out pretty much on top. Absolutely. And Trevor scored two penalties that season. Was it always Trevor that was on penalties or was there ever a kind of, you know, can anybody else take the penalties? Well, um I don't, I can't really remember, um, but uh, yeah, I, what I did realise is that you know if you if you do get on the penalties as a striker, yeah. um, you know it can turn you from a striker that gets yep. a decent amount of goals yep. to a striker that's prolific. Yes, because you know you get six or seven penalties and you get six or seven eight more goals, you know, from the penalty spot. And I think the sooner you think, okay, I could miss, but it's a great chance to score. Um, the sooner you get, 
you know, 20, 25 goals a season rather than 14, 15, 16 or 17, you know. And uh, that difference of eight or nine goals with penalties or five, you know, five or six, whatever it is, um, if you if you can score a number, um, it just helps your, your tally, you know. I mean, the modern strikers of, our, of, of the era that's just gone, you know, your Shearer and all these boys, um, you'd sprint to get that ball and, and get it on the spot and get another goal, you know, and never thought about missing. And I don't think I ever saw him miss, but, uh, you know, it, as I say, you know, rather than getting 15 or 16 goals, you get 25. Um, there's quite a bit of difference. It always amazes me why forwards don't want to take penalties and right-backs and centre-halves take penalties. And, and I, I'm like, it's almost like the goalkeeper saying, I don't fancy saving it. Does anybody want to get the gloves? I know, I know. Well, I mean, eventually, uh, it took me a long time um, and it was by accident. I was playing at Norwich and uh, we were we were going on a run to get out of the, the old Division 2 and we'd gone on a great run and I think we'd only two games left and we were playing Orient and um, our regular penalty taker, funnily enough, was John Deane and he'd turned his ankle over. And uh, we had to beat Orient. Mervyn Day was in goal. I picked the ball up to give it to someone. And Martin O'Neill come running over to me. He says, you're the bravest player on the pitch. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you're taking the penalty. I says, no, no, no I'm only picking it up. I'll give it to somebody else. <laughs> he says, no, no, you're, play- you're, you're taking it now. And uh, I don't think I've taken the penalty since school. Uh, and we had to win. And I've ended up smashing it. Is it the underside of the crossbar? And just bounced over the line, you know. I nearly died, and uh, so I was still not quite sure. But um, it was some time later that I started taking him for Stoke. Um, and as as we said earlier, or as I said earlier, you know, you go from scoring fifteen or sixteen. I think I got twenty three that year, and um, you know, people noticed twenty three goals from a striker, don't they? Absolutely, and he never took many penalties. I think he only ever took one in his career. Yeah. Again, he yeah, was he another one. Many. Yeah, he was another one. It's funny that that some do and some don't, but it, it's always one of those that amazes me that somebody as confident as forwards, because forwards must be the most supremely confident players on the pitch, because they're the goal scorers. They're the ones that that put that ball into the back of the net. And when they have a chance, a direct shot from twelve yards, you and the goalkeeper, the amount of them that say, "Do you know what? I don't want it. I don't fancy it." I do find it amazing. Any songs or TV programmes, Keith, that you was watching back in those days? Um, as we said earlier in the podcast, Elvis Presley with Way Down was number one on the 1st of October. But David Soul got to number one on the 8th of October 1977 yeah, yeah. with Silver Lady. Starsky well, and Hutch were top of the pops as well, weren't they? Uh, well, I have to say that, um, you know, Preempting Frank arriving at the football club. Um, I did actually like uh, I did actually like um, the Elvis stuff. Yeah. And then on a Saturday morning, when you're trying to relax, there was a little um, a, a sort of a, a Birmingham show called Tis Was, yes. and uh, Chris Tarrant and a few of the pals there were on that, and we used to watch a little bit of that. Um, but really, you were watching it, but you're already thinking about the game, you know. So it was. Uh, you're trying to relax, but it was uneasy because, you know, believe it or not, the games were really important to us. And you start thinking about the game long before the weekend. And uh, and that's what it means to most players. 
Absolutely. And ELO were big. Jeff Lynn was around there with Trevor as well, Mr. Blue Sky, top of the pops. You know, yeah. in Birmingham, it was a real feel good. It was almost like when you roll it to now with the Commonwealth Games, there was a really good feeling about Birmingham back in those days in the 70s, wasn't that? Music, TV, football, etc., etc. Yeah, well, I mean, um, that was another thing that um, was a, a fantastic experience for me, you know, through Trevor. Um, you know, Jeff was his pal and um, he introduced me to Jeff. And I, I remember, um, I remember the season finishing, and uh, I'd become fairly friendly with Jeff. And uh, he'd said to me, you know, well, why don't you come? He lived at Meriden at the time, and he said, well, why don't you come round? And he said, I've got a lake. He knew I'd done a little bit of fishing. He says, I've got a tennis court. You know, we can have a we can have a little game of tennis. And um, and he said, and then I've just got to do a little bit of work. Um, and I said, well, are you sure? And he said, no, yeah, yeah, come round. So, you know, I've turned up at his house and got all my fishing tackle out and I've gone and found him. Um, and he was down in the basement of his house and he was he hadn't started recording, but he was just about to do some work. And he said, well, look, he said, go and, go and do some fishing. He said, there's plenty of fish in this lake. And, uh, and he said, and, and come back and find me, you know, when you want. He said, I'll be down here because I've got, I've got to do some work. And it was then when I went back and went down and just listened to him um, putting all stuff together. So I thought, wow, you know, um, this is this is a proper this is a proper musician. You know, he played every instrument you could imagine. He had a he had a voice, you know, um, that was just to die for. And um, I'd have to say, I'm as big a fan now as I was. Back in the 70s, you know, and um, saw him recently. And he still, to me, still sounded as good as the time when I saw him at Wembley, you know. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, I think, DJ goes on about it. What's his name? Chris Evans. Yeah. I think he, he went to that he went to that concert and it was in the late 70s. And it was the spaceship one. It comes out the, it comes out the stadium and all this sort of stuff or comes out, comes out the floor. And, uh, you know, it was just an incredible, uh, incredible uh, night. Um, and and I, I think that, uh, you know, I've probably been as big a fan to them, you know, up until right now, you know, and still like their stuff today. And um, when I saw him at uh, the NEC, you know, it was just turning the clock back sort of 40 years and uh, he looked exactly the same and sounded exactly the same and, you know, as an absolute superstar, you know. Um, and, yeah, it was uh, it was the icing on the cake for me just to just to be in his company and he's such a normal chap. I loved his football and uh, as we loved his music. Well, it's been a joy for me, Keith, taking that trip down memory lane with you and remembering those halcyon days that when you guys wore that royal blue shirt of Birmingham City and we knew as fans, no matter who we played, where we played, we were always in with a chance of winning any game of football. So thanks for what you gave the game, what you gave us, Keith, and thank you so much for your time, sir. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour. Thank you, Paul. Um, I probably enjoyed it as much as you, but probably not quite as much. But, uh, 
you know, it seems like yesterday and I don't know how many years ago, but it's over 40 years and mm. uh, you wonder really where the time goes, but it was all great and uh, I was much better for coming to Birmingham and I absolutely loved playing there. Well, we absolutely loved having you there, Keith, and you will always be a Birmingham City legend and an icon, so thank you very much, sir. And we'll do another podcast uh, soon, Keith. We'll talk about um, another game of your life. Appreciate it, mate. Paul, Cheers, nice to speak to you. Lovely. Okay. Thanks for your time, Keith. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.